0: Sasswut is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit SASWAT.com. This is Seth a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. This week, Mark Matske and I are joined by Dr. David Floyd, who's been on the show before. David Floyd earned his PhD from the University of Sterling. He is the author of Street Urchins, Degenerates and Sociopaths, Orphans of Late Victorian and Edwardian Fiction, and has delivered papers on Gothic and medieval literature in the U.S., England, and Scotland. More recently, his research has focused on 19th century imperial discourse and the construction of identities, the development of 19th century psychological theory, changing perspectives of the family in Victorian culture and African history. This week we talk a lot about uh swamp creatures and that kind of stuff. I'm just going to let the show play out. Uh, in- uh in- so thanks for listening. June. Oh, really. Yeah. June will be down there and then we always go to uh we always go over to Savannah for like oh, yeah. one of the days. Yeah, it's 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 what are, we had this discussion last time you were on, I think. It's like the it's like the drunk what it what there was we had a whole like D-
1: Charleston on drugs. Yeah, is yeah. Savannah. Yeah. yeah, they um, they caught a uh, twenty five hundred pound yes. great white off of Hilton Head recently.
0: I sent my family, my in laws, a text today with a link to that story, and I just said, <laughs> "We're all going to die." <laughs> so, um, all right. So, so we wanted to have you back on, obviously, because because we had a blast last time you we were on. We recorded for like two hours and did two episodes. If I remember right, is that is that right? Two episodes. It was just one. Was it? Um, but it was like but two hours. Was, episode. It yeah. was. <laughs> I can't. I cannot believe I put that out at that length. Um, Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I was on officially once, and then I was on for a couple of minutes when we were in Ohio. Oh,
0: that's right. And um,
1: just that was just like a flyby kind of interview, and uh, and that's it. So, and that was about a year ago. It was in March last like, yeah. year when I was on. And I didn't realize it had been that. Long. You spoke at
0: the. Um, you spoke at the Ohio conference in twenty. 20- 15, 20 was it twenty fifteen? Last year, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, so weird. Okay, so it's when Minerva debuted <laughs> and all that stuff. All right, um, the good old days. Uh, so, so basically, before, you, oh. <laughs> before the before dark your time. millions, yeah. <laughs> before, before the <laughs> empire,
1: before the dark.
0: Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. So, basically, David, uh, David's kind of area of expertise seems to be, and you can correct me on this, and, and you know, I'm going to probably want you to give us some sort of official bio, but, like, your, your area of expertise to me, in my head, is, like, you're the folklore guy. Like, you're the guy that knows legends and folklore and how it relates to the subject of cryptids, and then you're also, like, the guy that loves swamp monsters, Uh, Because when we had you on last time, that was kind of the focus of the conversation. So I think we're going to head in that direction once again, which seems to be like a big, a big aspect of this show in general. We've had like three or four episodes about Swamp. Creatures other than the episode you were on, and obviously, like Falk, the Falk legends, and not legends. Yeah. Someone's going to kill me for saying the word legends connected with those facts. Yeah, the Falk <laughs> facts. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's actually my new book coming out. Oh, <laughs> Check that out. Small Town Monsters Publishing. Falk facts. Co authored by. That's my children's <laughs> book.
2: You stole it from me, you.
0: 101 Falk facts. <laughs> It's a pop-up book, actually. It's it's fantastic. Oh, would be scared. It's an
1: arm comes ter- out of the terrifying the bathroom window. Yeah, um, are we um, recording
0: now. We have actually been recording the entire time. Surprise! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is all on 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 the record. So yeah, like we started, uh, we've started just doing this. I just start recording pretty much as soon as someone gets on, and that way. Uh, The conversation just flows a lot more naturally than if I had to like do the intro to the show and everything and all that nonsense. So um, so talk to us because we haven't we haven't spoken. We haven't got to speak since the Ohio conference really about how things have been with you and work and all that.
1: I have had an insane year. Um, So I was on my first sort of foray into the Bigfoot world, I guess, was on when I was on Saswet last year in March. And uh, that was kind of cool because I I received a couple of emails from people that otherwise I would never have heard heard from. Uh, One was another English professor um, who contacted me with these really top-shelf theoretical approaches and all that was pretty cool. Um, There was another guy that um, sent me an email. He and his son had been on vacation um, actually in the forest near where I live about – 10 miles down the road where evidently they saw a track. He, he even took a photograph of it and sent it to me. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then in May, I spoke at the Ohio Bigfoot conference. And of course, the coolest thing about that was I got to meet you guys face to face. Of course, unfortunately, we we're pulled in three or four different directions the whole time we were there. So I'd I just next,
0: let me let me cut you off for a yeah. second. So I got to say I got to point out to our listeners um, at the Ohio conference. There was uh, Bob Giblin. Uh, Bob, obviously Bigfoot legend. You just heard David Floyd say the words, the highlight of that trip was meeting Mark me... Matski and <laughs> Seth Breedlove.
1: <laughs> I, would it be gauche to say that I saw Bob Gimlin shirtless? And wow. And he could take any of us. Oh, yeah. 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 The guy might be eight, but he is hardcore. Oh, yeah, yeah he's got an eight pack. Um, yeah, he seriously does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, he's, he's a great guy. This is but, the
0: only show where you're going to hear someone talk about Bob Gimlin's APEC, by
1: the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I got to meet you guys, and that was great. Um, I got to meet Lauren Coleman and John Kirk. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and my roommate was Jim Sherman. And uh, for those of you that don't know Jim Sherman, he's um, he's in the BFRO, and he, uh, he was one of the speakers, too. And, um, he's worked with finding Bigfoot and all, and sort of his niche market Bigfoot wise is doing audio. And, uh, he had a really interesting, uh, presentation on our audio and just on a personal level, he's just such a great guy. Um, he's got this enthusiastic kind of infectious personality, um, that was just a lot of fun. You know, if I was going to have to be a, have a roommate, it, it needed to be Jim Sherman, you know, and, um, just sort of on a pedagogical level, um, he's, a He's a history teacher, so um, to see him convey information in the engaging way that he does was really kind of a reminder of, of why teaching can be can be fun, you know, and rewarding. So, uh, so that was cool.
2: Um, David, have you read his yes, book?
1: Have you read oh his yeah, yeah, his book? yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually. Sure it's like that, yeah. sitting there having him talk to you. It's really yeah. good.
1: Yeah, I like that too. It's it's real um, conversational. And yeah. um and Hold having on. met him and then read it, it's, huh. it's even
0: right. better, you know. Let me let me fill our, our listeners in cuz our some of our listeners are probably more on my level. Um pe- peda pedagogical <laughs> <laughs> means means um, I just looked this up on Merriam-Webster for for our listeners, not for me. I know. Uh of relating to <laughs> or befitting a teacher or education. So there we go. Yeah. So just, just so, so everyone knows, that's the biggest word anyone's ever used on the show.
1: He's he's a good teacher. is okay. what that means. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, so after that um, in June, uh, my family went to China for two weeks. Wow. And um, we adopted a little girl from there, and so we were over there for two weeks. Um, and that was interesting. I'd never been that far away before and I'm convinced that Asia is out to murder me. Um, it was between, um, long flights and strange food and, and that kind of thing. I, I think I lost five pounds while I was over there. Um, but anyway, I was, I was glad to get back home from there. Um, Yeren attacks while you were there. No Yeren attacks, but we were, no. uh, we were in the city the whole time uh, where it is as 40 hills in June. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it was really hot there. Um, but anyway
0: um jumped onto the plane that that was that was the story i was hoping for was that you were (laughs) as we were landing a yaron actually jumped onto the wing (laughs) of the plane you're the only one who saw it yeah (laughs) it's on the wing of the plane
1: (laughs) um but yeah the people over there were great um really nice not a whole lot of sense of personal space but um but really nice people well there is no
0: personal space right where were were you
1: (laughs) We were in Guangzhou, which is across the the water from Hong Kong. Okay, uh, if that tells you anything. Uh, um, uh,
0: unless it was a location in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or <laughs>
1: <laughs> geographically, it's the South Carolina of of, of China. Okay, um, but at any rate, uh, so that was we did that in June. Uh, came back and taught a class in summer two. Um, had this really busy fall semester that prevented me from doing anything fun um and then finally this past semester has allowed me to do some research and and play some in the way that i like to play um so so here i am uh, with some some research that i've finally done
0: yeah let's let's get into this because david i have to tell our listeners david is the only guest we have who comes fully prepared for his shows like he's he's in advance planning out like what he wants to talk about and i have to tell you as the host of the show that is absolutely wonderful for me (laughs) because it requires me to do less work and um he's actually doing research and stuff but i did tell mark like before we started recording i did fall down the rabbit hole today i started researching like swamp stuff and then wound up becoming obsessed with this dismal swamp yeah, um, in Virginia, and then I think it runs into what North Carolina.
1: North Carolina, yeah, I'm actually going to speak about that. Yeah, this
0: I, I did some cool because I've got some some research I did on that. I've got two things I want to talk about that, and then, okay. um, and then of course I I thought it would be interesting to look at the Bridgewater Triangle because Bridgewater Triangle is obviously always connected with like more paranormal stuff, but there are Bigfoot sightings that happen. Within the Bridgewater Triangle. And I don't know if either of you guys have seen Aaron Kadju's awesome Bridgewater Triangle documentary, where he kind of documents everything, all the activity that's happened inside of the Bridgewater Triangle. But if Mark, did you get around to seeing it yet? I've not
2: seen it yet. I've heard a pretty lengthy interview with the director. He's very
0: interesting. Well, a little glimpse behind the scenes. Aaron watched Minerva before anyone. Um, he was the first person that watched Minerva Monster and gave me feedback and helped me figure out what you know we could do uh, to fix it. And then he watched Beast of Boy Hall before anyone. So Aaron's actually been able to help me with like editing stuff probably more than anyone else. He'll give me extremely detailed notes on like what I need to fix and all that kind of stuff. but he's he is working on a true crime. Uh, documentary right now. That's it. Sounds like it's gonna be amazing. He let me watch a little bit of footage from it, and uh, it's gonna be really cool. But anyway, Bridgewater Triangle. It's on Vimeo, and you can buy DVDs off of his website. And then obviously, it's played on Destination America a few a few times. Mm-hmm. But Lauren Coleman's in it, and it goes into obviously the history of really bizarre. Like there's a cult activity, there's unsolved murders, there's mob activity, but then there's all this paranormal. Ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoots and tiny little hair-covered creatures and all this stuff. So it's really fascinating stuff. But I wanted to look up a little bit about that and
1: discovered very little.
0: But there is a book that just came out. I did discover that. There's some sort of book. I don't that know came
1: out. much about that at all.
0: You're gonna to have to look into it, David, because I think so you I'll would have to check it out. Yeah, I think you would love it. So, By the way,
1: speaking of Whitehall, yes. not to interrupt you, but Whitehall is beautifully done. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's.
0: I have a funny story about Whitehall, which I think I can share. Brandon might be upset that I'm sharing this actually because we lost. <laughs> but we we entered our we got into our first film festival and we lost to another documentary titled Prison Terminal. And first of all, um in if you're in if you're entering like a Bigfoot movie into into film festivals, you've already got one one notch against you because like, <laughs> you're cause it's Bigfoot and it's not like socially impactful and it's not You know, it doesn't. It's not gonna. It's not about like AIDS victims in in Africa or whatever noble sort of cause there are. Instead, it's about Bigfoot. But um, we went up against this. We're sitting there in the theater, right? And our movie plays, and we got great response. We did a long Q and A, the longest Q and A we saw the entire day. They had to shut it down actually because there were so many questions. So like the Q and A is going great, and you know, we sit down. I'm like, I'm feeling good about this. Like, I think we could potentially take home the best documentary. Uh, award. Brandon's like, I think we got it. You know, I'm like, now check it <laughs> out. There's one more documentary playing later in the evening, and uh, I'm like, really? What's it called? And, you know, Prison Terminal. I look at the guidebook. I read the description, and the description says uh, a terminally ill uh, inmate on death on death row. Uh, faces His Last Days. And I'm like, yeah, well, you can't win we, we lost. <laughs> uh, the movie starts, and the first thing I notice is produced the. Produced by Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. No, uh, the movie was produced by HBO Films. So it's already, you know, our movie was made for less than $5,000. <laughs> and this thing starts with the HBO logo and then just automatically won. Uh, literally, as the movie was ending, the theater was just full of people weeping. I, and, and then the movie ends so this is where it's funny like i go home and i decide because i'm a sore loser i decide to look this movie up <laughs> turns out prison terminal was nominated for an academy award for best short oh, documentary wow. back in or best short back in 2014 so that seems unfair it, so. it well yeah i don't want to talk too much about it but it, essentially i was told by the awards committee that they had pooped the bed on on that decision uh. not that it wasn't it wasn't a uh, I mean, it was an amazing movie to watch. The man uh, that's the focus of the film literally died on camera, though. So it's hard for me to even wow. feel bad about. Yeah, it's hard for <laughs> me to even feel bad about the fact that we lost. I mean, how are we going to beat yeah, that unless we have a bigfoot tough, dying on yeah. camera? Yeah. It, <laughs> 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 All right. So uh, so oh. let's get into this, David, because you have you have a format. You have you have what you want to talk about laid out. So let's let's dive into what you want to talk about. Okay, I'm turning so, um, the floor over to you. Is what I'm saying.
1: My, uh, I will, I will try not to ramble. But um, my job is to talk. You know, I talk for a living, <laughs> so that's hard to. But um, at any rate, uh, so the uh, what I'm and the last time I was on here, I didn't even consciously. Yeah, but um, so I just kind of wanted to go into um the idea of, of creatures in the swamp, not limited to to Bigfoot necessarily, and really, I. I Sort of approaching some kind of taxonomy, if you will, I guess. Um, you know, with at least four different types, um, which are: is a wild man of the swamp, um, folkloric creatures of the swamp, um, human animal hybrids, and then bigfoots. Um, and if it seems time-wise, if I'm really going long, I can I can kind of edit it out a little. Um, <laughs>
0: No, let me do that, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You'll listen back, and and it'll just be abbreviated to like ten minutes. Just kidding. Uh,
1: so, but in order to sort of preface um, what I want to talk about, I did want to just give some thoughts on the swamp and why it's sort of this compelling geographic space that interests me. Um, and I think you guys have both talked about it being an interesting thing to you too. Um, John Napier, who's one of my favorite writers about this subject, um, wrote that the, the essential element of the monster myth is remoteness. And the more remote and unapproachable they are, the better. Uh, and I think that sort of speaks to our sort of this human need for for mystery that we have. And I would even go as far to say that, you know, as far as Bigfoot goes, if there wasn't one, we would need to invent one. Um, and and furthermore, just on the subject of the swamp, you know, it's this particularly compelling place um, sort of on this geographical level, you know, it's, it's liminal, it's on the outskirts of society and it, it really kind of resists our attempts to contain it and to map it and all that, you know, you've still got places that people have never even seen before, you know, and it's just full of danger and mystery, you know, and you could fall down a sinkhole or something or an alligator could drag you under the, under the surface, or you get bitten by a snake or get lost or whatever. And it's sort of the geographical equal to, Um, these in i teach gothic literature and and some horror stuff and all and the architecture in that is the similar similar to that in that it's you know it's always this haunted mansion or this uh, ancient castle or this country manor this architectural space that you go into and you might not come out and it just has this and the swamp is sort of the geographic equal to that you know that you it has the sense of engulfment you know that you you might feel compelled to go in and you it's scary, but you it's appealing at the same time, you know. So uh, just on a geographical level it's interesting, I think. Um, and then on a sort of psychological level, kinda of speak to speaks to us on this kind of primordial level, you know, this kind of appeal to this reptilian brain type of thing, you know, whether it's, you know, and our sort of our origins and, you know, whether it's some kind of primordial soup we crawled out of or the dust that we're created up from. Uh, Just kind of like the ocean, you know, we have an inclination to to go to it, I think. And um, in addition to that, the idea that there might be a Bigfoot out there is compelling, too. Just this creature that um, may speak to an earlier version of ourselves, maybe, or some kind of latent beast within us, you know, that that is not contained by society. Um, So that's sort of the quick thoughts, I guess, on the swamp and why, you know, just kind of set up a context, I guess.
0: Did you did you find and you might talk a little bit about this, but did you find when you're looking into this stuff that every swamp is full of legends? Because I did today like, <laughs> when I'm when I'm looking at like the Great Dismal Swamp, there's like so many different legends around that one swamp. And it reminded mm-hmm. me instantly of Bridgewater Triangle because there's the what is it? Shoot. Hockamock. That's where the Hawkeye Swamp is, and the Hawkeye is like full of, of UFO stories. But it's got mm. it's got these um, native uh, native Indian um, ghosts that are supposed to haunt it because mm. of some sort of cursed ritual that took place there. And like every every swamp I've looked into is full of those kind of legends. And obviously, we've talked about the Lizard Man sightings. What's that swamp called? Where that the Lizard Man is? Scapor yeah, and that's full of them too. I just found yeah. that fascinating. That every swamp just seems to be full of legends. I
1: think. Well, it's it kind of lends itself to that sort of mystery, anyway. And um, I know growing up in in and around Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach is sort of like that too. You know, it's just there. There are lots of low areas there, lots of swampy kind of areas near the beach and all, and it just kind of lends you know all these ghost stories and that type of thing. Just um, some places lend themselves more to that you know
2: david is there like a, a variety of genres or sub that you know these stories develop like but i'm talking what for instance like uh cautionary tales and uh like, like uh, what are the other ones like can you kind of walk us through that too like like
0: uh like uh escape tour so right there's
2: one yes, cautionary um, well you've got yeah.
1: cautionary <laughs> I'm not sure what that caution's against, but I'm, I'm leaving that alone. But, um, yeah, I mean, you've got the cautionary tale, you know, that kind of falls under. And in a moment, actually, I'll be talking about um, sort of folklore and that kind of thing and some of the mm-hmm. service that that provides, you know, of just basically keeping the children around the fireplace or not the fireplace, but the the fire at night, you know, to keep them from wandering off. Um, so you've got that. But then you've got other stories that, you know, sort of explain uh, the names of places and, and that kind of thing. There's um, – a place in Myrtle beach called hurl rocks. And it's one of the few places on the coast that has rocks next to the, to the beach and on the South Carolina coast. And, um, you know, the, the, there are these stories that try to explain how the rocks got there, even though they're not anywhere else on the coast, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, I guess they have some explanatory, explanatory, explanatory function,
0: pedagogical, um,
1: pedagogical <laughs> function. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, to if you kind of go into the realm of mythology, you know, the, the idea of explaining nature and why things happen the way they do, you know, why something like the Narcissus flower leans over the water as if it's looking at itself, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered mm-hmm. the question at all. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of um, different categories, I guess, of or different genres of these kind of stories. Um, and they, they, you know, genres tend to have fuzzy boundaries anyway. Um, but at any rate, I think that largely these kind of stories have some type of functionality uh, to the culture they're in most of the time. Although something like Bigfoot, I don't know that that has much of a, uh, or well, it might not that would have much of a service to the culture. Which it, for me is an argument for its existence because it, it I don't know that it necessarily lends anything to, uh, to our. Society, we don't need to have it necessarily. Um, maybe psychologically, it comes in handy, but um, I don't know. It seems more problematic than explanatory. Maybe
0: really, see, I started thinking about that today because of the the like. Um, actually, the the reason yeah. I was thinking about it is because that stupid show Cryptid, that was on the History Channel last year. It was kind of a okay, just being upfront with people. I actually really enjoyed the show, but it was like uh, it was kind of like a wannabe found footage you know, horror show that was on history and, you know, tried to foster on people that it was real, but it wasn't. Um, But I thought it was actually pretty well done. But they they did a lot of stuff about, like, the Rougarou, which is like the, you know, the Louisiana. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like a swamp monster because it's always seen in, you know, these kind of low-lying, you know, wetlands and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, to me, those two things are very similar so maybe there is something about swamps that just kind of breeds these legends about upright walking scary creatures hiding behind trees or under the surface of water see like in in doing the prep work for f- the falcon monster i've been trying to think of what it is specifically that scares me about swamps cuz there is something about like that those swamps that kind of creeps me out and i know when i mm-hmm. had my first meeting with lyle one of the things we talked about was well Obviously, with, with our movies, we don't do re- recreation. So, what is it about you know the swamps and stuff that we could really pull that would terrify people? And to me, it's yeah. actually like the shadows. Like, what's you know, you think of those huge cypress trees and those right. low, or, or you know, the the kind of like low hanging vegetation or low growing vegetation, and then what could be lurking under the surface of the water the, right. and, and the, all that kind of stuff?
1: I love those. Um the cypress knots that come mm-hmm. up out of the water, you know, they're yeah. like, uh, like giant fingernails or something. Or something. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's just the thought of what, what exactly is going on under the water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. It just, it looks like, you know, if you see a swamp, it looks like a dam burst and swallowed up a town or something, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there seems like there should be more underneath than just dirt, you know, right? <laughs> it's, but yeah. Um, I don't know where that was going or I don't either. I completely <laughs> zoned out. I started um,
0: thinking about gnarled hand trees and so tell us tell us some wild
2: man stories, David. What do you what have you okay, got there? So
1: um all right, so the first sort of category I've got here is um this wild man of the swamp, you know, and this is the sort of the human being that is the eccentric loner that hangs out in the swamp, you know, this kind of Ben Gunn from Treasure Island, kind of <laughs> big, draggled castaway, you know, that chooses to live out there. And uh, so, for instance, in the um, the Norfolk, Virginia Pilot newspaper of 1912, reports this weird swamp dweller, who um, is a friendly, short man with unshaven face and unshorn mass of gray hair. He speaks an unintelligible gibberish. Uh, dressed in the most inconceivable assortment of cast-off clothing, each garment ingeniously patched and mended until little of the original cloth remained. And the that's under that's fine enough. But then there's this. It says that he um, inhabits a long coffin-like structure. Wow. So I don't know if he's like a vampire that hangs out, you know, in a box at night or during the day or what. So that was I, I, that's like straight from the the article. Strange. That's awesome though. Um, there's another one from. The were cheesy pond wild man this is a place in florida cypress swamp um in 1883 there were these reported sightings of um this guy seeing this guy swimming from island to island and he kind of keeps to himself uh, but he would scream at night and that's one of the things that i noticed about a lot of these creatures and all is they they tend to <laughs> yell at night for whatever reason um but it kind of reminded me of the Banshee of um, Irish folklore that, that screams at night. I think if, he's, if it screams at you, it means somebody in your family has just died or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but at any rate, there's this um, report that in, on August 18th of 1883, these Confederate soldiers supposedly cap- <laughs> captured him. Um, I don't know why that's funny, but it, is, but, it uh, is.
0: It is funny, but it's also really common in those wild man stories for them to catch the wild man. Yeah. Um because we've got those. We've got. Remember, Matt and Mark, I've told you about the Maslin ones, where they mm-hmm. supposedly yeah. got a, a wild man real close to where I live now. Uh, right back in the late 1800s. But you'll read that all the time. And then he always um, escapes too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's
2: a yeah. Thing. There's
1: a no report of his fate. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he went on to live so, a
2: normal definitely. life. Have we ever well, after?
1: and you know, in uh, talked about Treasure Island a minute ago. Ben Gunn is this castaway in that book, and he he actually becomes he gets some of the treasure at the end and becomes reformed. Uh, he spends all his money very quickly, but he becomes a reputable member of his church and all that. Uh, so it can happen. But um, anyhow, uh, so another form of this wild man of the swamp is Native American reports, and these are a little weirder um, in that they're not necessarily human. Um, but that, that a lot of these tribes refer to these guys or people as uh, – or things as another tribe. And um, you know if you talk to Bob Gimlin about Patty, you know, he'll say that he refers to them as people you know, and, uh, and so that kind of thing. So there's this question as to what they actually are. But anyway, typically they're covered in hair. They're larger than humans, um, often dangerous. Uh, there's one called the Shawanaki or the Sha'awanaki. Um, which is a Creek Seminole Indian term that means swamp thing. Um, huh. Yeah, that's where Bernie Wrightson got the. Uh, that was my yeah. Um, that was
0: my DC Comics nerd coming out right there.
1: Okay, I could. I was in an elevator with Bernie Wrightson one time at serious? a comic book convention, and I wanted so bad today to say, "Dude, you're so awesome," you know. But I was. <laughs> yeah. I did not go fanboy on him, but I saw his name tag, and I, that just like made my. That's it, another podcast. Sometimes
0: it, I mean it is it is interesting though because we've. Um, late, l- lately, I've seen for whatever reason people on Facebook in Bigfoot groups sharing photos of Swamp Thing a lot. Hmm. I don't know what the connection is there, if there is one.
1: <laughs> but uh, hmm. um, but this uh, term, the Shawanaki, actually means something with snapping jaws or um, jaws or a mouth that snaps. But that something it, that's something that's particularly endowed with uh, spiritual attributes of some kind. So. Hmm. little high strangeness going on there. And, you know, you see these interviews with Native Americans talking about there's no doubt that these things exist. And they're always talking about these spiritual aspects that they have or they can disappear or they can hypnotize you or make you freeze so they can disappear or whatever. Um, and the Shawanaki evidently has these uh, raccoon eyes, these white orbs around its eyes. And um, actually, David Pilates of Missing 411 fame, I was watching a talk that he did, and he actually – I uh, talked about seeing one at one time and it had the, the white around its eyes. So that's pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, but anyhow, there's um, other, I won't go into them all, but there's some um, these different other sort of native American figures, you know, that are either cannibal giants or the tall man or the stone man and all that are kind of not necessarily limited to, to swamps, but fond of waterways, you know? And of course, as we know from boggy Creek, you know, he always follows the creeks. So. Yeah. Um, so the, um, next category I've got is, um, folklore stuff. And just real quickly, you mentioned the Rougarou that's, um, you know, from Cajun legend in Louisiana, uh, which is similar to the Lougarou, uh, which is more of a werewolf type. And this is varies from being some kind of man, wolf, man, dog, man, pig. Um, what? and yeah, um, this kind of, uh, awesome. evidently it's a, <laughs>
0: way more terrifying. I'm sorry, but if I saw a man pig, I'd unleash everything and and run for my life.
1: There's a um a book by H. G. Wells called the the Island of Doctor Moreau. Yes. That um where he this where Doctor Moreau takes these animals and and combines them in some way and makes them into, you know, a pig dog or a bear wolf, you know, and, and um for whatever reason makes them out to look like people and then teaches them to talk, which is always a really good idea. Um, but anyway, there's an, episode, there's
0: an episode of Seinfeld with a pigman too. Just to put that out there,
1: <laughs> clearly inspired by HG Will. Yeah. Clearly, but uh, at any rate, this is um, one of these uh, cautionary tales, like Mark you were talking about, you know, to to keep the Cajun children from running off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to this one
0: cautionary tale not Before, not uh,
1: And then um, there's another one called the Letiche, which is um, this is really strange. This is evidently an abandoned illegitimate child that's it's i'm sorry an, an illegitimate child that's abandoned in the swamp um, that is raised by alligators and um in some evolutionary twist is able to acquire um, skin a uh, scaly skin and webbed feet and green eyes and it just kind of wanders the swamp um doing what latiches do um and <laughs> there's a third one called the jack-o'-lantern, which um, is evidently the origin of our pumpkins at Halloween, which is cool. Totally not Bigfoot, and I, I said at the beginning, this is not necessarily limited to Bigfoot, so for your Bigfoot-only fans, I'll, I'll try not to deviate too much, but um, I, I get to Bigfoot. in a minute. But uh, anyway, this is the jack-o'-lantern, uh, also called Old Jack, and this is this um, sort of spirit being that has a lantern and lures uh, humans into the swamp. Uh, this is really and, and if you read about any of these swamp areas, they will talk about this light that you can see in the swamp. And um, this is really similar to a thing that I actually saw called the Bingham Light in South Carolina. It's um, between Latta and Dillon, which are near Bishopville, um, which is the home of the Lizard Man. But um, what you do is you drive out to this rural, rural er Dillon, and um, you have to park your car and there's this disused railway line where the the rails are up but you can still see where the the track was and all and so you walk along that and you go around this big field and you find yourself at the edge of this real swampy kind of forest area and you're supposed to call out to mr bingham and evidently his light up here and i've actually seen this and it freaked me out i was about 19 years old you know but it's it's actually moving through the forest and all and you know of course Most people will say, "Oh, that's like swamp gas or whatever. But this was actually a a light moving along very deliberately um, horizontally. How big? Um, I'd say maybe three or four feet around. Hmm. Um, So, I mean,
0: I've got my own story about a light by a swamp in the woods because my dad and I uh, a few years ago went down to the – okay, so there's like this tiny village behind where my parents live that was like the – a Quaker village that was established in, in Ohio and it's still <laughs> there and they kind of keep it the same, but they, they um, recently at some point in the last couple of years, they drained this or not drained, but they dammed this one section of the river, I believe, and created a lake basically that runs behind my parents' house. And if you go down there, there's this place called the Zor wetlands and, The Zora wetlands look out across this massive field that basically is a swamp. I mean, it's a field, but it's full of water and, you know, it looks like a huge swamp. And on the other side of that swamp is the Tuscarora River. And then on the other side of the river is the area that I've talked about on the show many times where those deer were found shoved up in trees, ripped in half, shoved up in trees and all that stuff. Right. So we're down at the Zora wetlands looking across this massive field, swamp, whatever you want to call it, towards that area where the trees are or the deer were and um you know my dad is doing something and i look over and and real slowly i just see what looked like a massive light actually rise out of the woods um into the sky hover for like 2 seconds and then just go back down and huh. this is way way across a field i mean but it was clearly something substantially large you know i i don't know yeah. It could have been honestly. It could have been a Chinese lantern. It could have been something like that. But from where we were, it just looked very large. But I've always thought that was really odd because we were down there, kind of, you know, just looking for Bigfoot. Was what we were doing. Right. And instead, we get this very <laughs> kind of unusual, like, Not Bigfoot. L- yeah, light coming up out of the woods across the the swamp. Well,
1: Somewhere. I have um I have reliable friends who also went to the same spot, and they um they yelled at it when they saw it and it actually started coming towards oh yeah so they they took off and ran you know but yeah
0: um but yeah so you were 19 when this happened yeah yeah
1: okay um
0: there's a lot of these light, like light legends what's the i'm thinking of one in particular but it's i th- I want to say it's in, like in Illinois the well never mind we're just going to end up sitting here staring at each other trying to figure yeah. it out and i could tell well, from mark mark knows mark knows but he couldn't Immediately place it, and I can tell.
2: Well, there's Marfa lights in Texas. That's not That's it. That's like a classic one.
0: Okay. Um. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I remember.
2: I forget what book this is in, but there's even a sign at somewhere where it says here: "There's lights you can see if you stand at the spot at the right time of day." And it's It's bizarre. Yeah. And it also seems like it's a contemporary issue in in Bigfootology that uh, something that happens when you're out in the woods enough is that you will eventually see some type of light like that, you know. And uh, as soon as you call it orbs, then everybody laughs at it. But it just seems like that is more common than than we uh, care to talk about. Well, usually. mine was a
0: straight-up UFO. I mean, I could see the little green men <laughs> in the portholes.
1: Well, <laughs> okay. Were they wearing
2: that? suspenders?
0: They were. Suspenders.
1: <laughs> And I know Mark, you're a Stan Gordon fan, and I I am too. That he has that, I guess, a couple of um, cases where you know the Bigfoot is seen carrying the carrying the uh, orb. So maybe maybe I saw Bigfoot, but his shining orb distracted me from.
0: That's just nightlight, actually.
1: (laughs) It gets dark out there. Yeah. Who's out there? (laughs) Who goes there?
0: (laughs) Come in and know me better, man. Yeah. all right sorry i keep all distracting right. david from his from his mission oh you're cool
1: i teach 19 to 20 <laughs> year olds so i'm used to that um, <laughs> i'm
0: definitely below that level
1: <laughs> uh okay so moving on to category number three um and again i'm, I'm i am getting to bigfoot eventually but, but i'll make it quick as i can but um, I did want to mention the uh, these. So these are hybrid creatures. These are sort of man beast type things. Um, one really famous case in North Carolina is the vampire beast of Bladenboro, and um, I had not known about this until my mother actually mentioned it to me, um, and she she knew about this uh, growing up. But evidently in 1953 54, uh, there was this man sized cat like creature that was known to um, scream at night, um, and there are these cases of, of all these slaughtered dogs. Their jaws will be broken, their skulls will be crushed, and their blood will be drained from them. Uh, so p- fairly gruesome. Um, but what's neat, Bladenboro actually has a, a beast fest uh, that they hold annually, kind of like the Mothman Festival and the Lizard Man stuff. So I know that you guys appreciate a, a good small town celebrating its monster. That's so awesome. go Bladenboro. Um, so is the
0: festival literally built around that kind of legend?
1: Yeah, evidently it's 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 called the Beast Fest, so it's – I don't That's know so if it branches cool. into other stuff, you know, but um, – So is,
0: it, is the creature itself
2: uh, essentially humanoid with cat features or what, I, what's <laughs> sort of the thing? Like I'm trying to visualize what this I know, is. I
1: know. The drawings and all I've seen of it is more like a chucacabra or something like that, you know, this sort of giant, cat, like hairless cat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> something like that, you know. Um, I th-
0: I actually misinterpreted what you said as uh as as the the creature was like the size of a cat. So <laughs> oh, and I'm, I'm like, sorry, well, yeah. that's not that's not scary at all to me. tiny little house cat. It's
1: hairless. Yeah, no matter how a hairless big it is, cat. But, um. So and then there's um the Santer, which is um reported in an 1890 three different 1890 uh, newspapers talk about this swamp-dwelling man-sized dog-like creature to counteract the cat-like creature of Bladenborough, I guess, um, that has a long, long body with reddish hair and uh, a tail that can knock over a cow, uh, which comes oh. in handy when you're preying on livestock. Uh, also screams like a crying woman. And this reappeared in 1897, again in 1934, so evidently something that kind of crops up from time to time. Um, and then you have this really strange, uh, the alligator man or the gator man. Uh, this is this thing that emerged in the 1700s, especially around Louisiana Bayou and Florida Everglades. And this is, a uh, about a five foot long being with an alligator body and a human head foolishness. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> um, nonsense. but there's a, there's a, um, yeah, Marsh's free museum in Washington state actually has one that's, um, taxidermied Called Jake the Alligator Man. That is clearly authentic, and so you can yeah. you can Google that. That's no doubt. Uh, <laughs> let's see. There's the um, the Love Frog Man. Oh yeah. Are you guys familiar? Oh with that? yeah. Okay, so I won't go into that a whole lot. But evidently, the two different officers um, saw that. Uh, next to a road, one, one time. There's and a, a farmer. There's
0: a fantastic recounting of that, the Loveland Frogman, and yeah. um it's in a book called "It Came from Ohio." And I think I've talked to you about that book, Mark. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've read it, but yeah. Okay. I have. Yeah, it's good. He, yeah, he does a really solid. He actually does a solid investigation into the to the sighting. Actually, like if I remember it, he tracked down one of the witnesses or tried to track down one of the witnesses and has kind of an update on what happened to one of the original witnesses and it's nothing good, but, um, it's a really interesting case. Uh, if I could, I, I would have loved to have been able to cover that, but I just don't think there's enough people left to talk about it. And the one witnesses pretty much stopped
2: talking about it, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and then the other, uh, if I remember he thought he'd seen UFOs and, he it was like claiming to speak to spirits and all kind of stuff. Start start kind of went south and the guy was living in a. <laughs> Sorry,
1: man, you lost me. <laughs> he,
0: was, he was. You had
1: me at frogman, but now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Once you start saying spirits and UFOs, but no, the guy was like living in a in a hotel somewhere, and yeah, it just nothing good happened. With any of those
2: hybrid stories, was there a sense? Because you mentioned Doctor Moreau before, was there any sense that it was like a uh, intentionally created hybrid? Because that seems um, like
1: well, there is. Let me let me see. There is one uh, thing. Yeah, the um, the thing of Clarendon County, South Carolina, also called the Spook of Summerton. This is um, also this gray brown Great Dane type thing. Uh, evidently, we've got a lot of really large dog and cat animals running around in South Carolina. Uh, that are prone to killing uh, life livestock, but at any rate, the, the weird thing about this case is um, this is in nineteen seventy two. There were several earthquake tremors, and after that is this spate of um, pet and livestock deaths, um, supposedly um, done by this creature. Uh, and the idea is that the tremors, you know, woke something that came up from wherever things like that hang out. You know, <laughs> not scientifically related, but um, but yeah kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? There might be a Dr. Moreau <laughs> in an island on, um, in South Carolina somewhere. Uh, let's see. So we've talked about the Lizard Man. I won't go into that a whole lot because you guys have already talked about that, though. But there there was a... Um, I did see a more recent case in 2008. Really? Um, the Lizard Man from the item newspaper. And, um, of course, the Bishop... I mean, the, uh, the Lizard Man is a little... Special to me because I grew up maybe twenty minutes from from all this, and in Marion, South Carolina. And uh, but anyway, this. Um,
0: well, there were those pictures too out of Bishopville last year. Those hilariously bad.
1: Yeah, that lizard was lizard man. Photos. Surely authentic. Yeah, yeah. Surely. Um, <laughs> I mean, they didn't even try. Defi- you know, I definitive. Mean, at least, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, this this uh, this uh, article says "Return of the Lizard Man?" Question mark. And there were these folks uh, reported. Coming out and seeing their car with all these bite marks on them. and there was like blood all over the, the side of the car, and of the twenty cats that they had outside, uh, half of them were missing. Uh, so, Lizard Man is back, or at least he was back in two thousand eight. Abducting cats. Ten of them, at least. So he's rapacious. That reminds <laughs> oh. me of
0: that that account that or uh, that uh, Eric was talking about last week with all the cats up behind that one house. They found mm-hmm. Mark
1: yeah that was a, that was he had some interesting stuff. I liked that episode yeah, it was creepy. yeah, the deer and all with the leg torn off that was that was great. yeah um, I mean, interesting yeah <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, so moving on to to bigfoot, uh, the bigfoot types that linger around the swamp. Uh, of course, we've got the the skunk ape is probably the, one of the most famous, more famous ones. Um, some other names I found uh, uh, the Carolina woolly booger. The Boojum, the Barden Booger. Um, and then there's, of course, the Skunk Ape. Um, and of course, this is known to wander, the upland swamps. Um, I did not realize they were uh, shorter than the northeastern Bigfoot, so these tend to be smaller, about 5 feet or so, uh, 160, 180 pounds. Often reddish reddish orange. And when I was on the show last year, you know, a lot of these cases from South Carolina had to do with sort of swampy areas and all, and just about every one of them uh, talked about the the color being this kind of orangey orangutan kind of color. So just a consistency there is kind of interesting.
0: Did you um, – did you while you were doing all this research, did you look into like Everglades, the mm-hmm. Everglades? I'm just curious like how many sightings there are out of that area. I know there's like groups that base themselves out of the Everglades. I'm just curious if it's you –
1: know. Well, there's some um, – I did find out that Florida is – there are so many sightings in Florida that evidently it's the second – most sightings of any state, yeah, uh, from, from what I read, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because I, d- I don't associate that, you know, I think about California and you know, Oregon or somewhere like that uh, with Bigfoot. But, um, anyhow, that's uh, I did find a couple of newspaper articles from the 70s, um, where some kids uh, claimed to see a what looked like a silverback gorilla. Uh, one guy claimed to hit one with his car, um. A hunting dog, and this was an interesting, a hunting dog was found whimpering um, with bite marks on its throat. And it was as if a person had bitten it, not as though, you know, like a, a like giant cat or yeah. something. It, not like fangs, but like, you know, these blunt, you know, teeth. Interesting. Um, and then somebody claimed to see one limping along the road, which <laughs> I guess was the one that had been hit previously, <laughs> uh, which is funny for some reason. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so evidently there's there's been enough sightings in Florida to the point where Florida is the second highest state for Bigfoot sightings and to the point where Florida some Florida state representatives have endeavored to make it illegal to, quote, take, possess, harm, or molest anthropoid or humanoid animals. So um, that's kind of interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the Beast of, Beast of Boggy Creek, of course, um, which I'm sure you will do a show on at some point in the future. Yeah. With your movie, and also I won't get into that, but that's certainly a, a famous one. Um, the uh, here's possibly my favorite uh, title: "The Two Egg Stump Jumper," um, <laughs> also known as "The North paramour Hobbit." Have you heard of this? No. Um, so, oh. Two Egg what, what is what
2: was the name again? I, I thought two, I heard
1: it. The Two, two Egg. Egg Stump Jumper. Two Egg is a, a little town in um, okay either North or South Carolina and okay. actually where Faye Dunaway is from. Um, mm. but anyway, there are these two, these sort of twin towns of two egg and paramour. And, um, <laughs> there's this sort of mini Bigfoot creature that, um, uh, at, there's evidently this third town called old Paramore, which is like a ghost town, uh, where the stump jumper evidently hangs around. And, um, so he's, he's seen every once in a while running around the roads and stuff like that. And um, this might – at first I read this, and I was like, this is ridiculous. you know, there's just you know, <laughs> and, But then I was reading about um, Ivan Sanderson recently, and he actually had come up with four types of Bigfoots. And two of those categories are subhumans and proto-pygmies, um, which he said are typically in Asia and South America and Africa. And one example is uh, what's called the Sadapa of uh, Borneo and Sumatra, but is more commonly known as the Orang Pindek, which we've all heard of. So Mm -hmm. um, basically this small, man-like, five-foot-tall little foot, I guess, um, (laughs) as opposed to Bigfoot. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Then we have uh, the Dismal Swamp Freak, which is probably the best name ever. Um, yeah. and the dis- dismal swamp is just great anyway, but then the dismal swamp mm-hmm. freak, um, and this, the dismal Seth, you were talking about the dismal swamp and how there's just so much about it. There's, this is this place known as, um, for having like ghost ships and demon fish and, yeah. uh, sea monsters and all this. And the, the native Americans avoided it after sunset. And it's just this really, you know, creepy area. And, um, this guy named Waverly Traylor uh, wrote a book called the, the Great Dismal Swamp in Myth and Legend. Uh, he called it a hopeless wilderness and an incurable ulcer on the earth. Yes. Um, just really forbidding sound. But uh, at any rate, there's this, um, this book by a guy named Daniel W. Barefoot uh, called Seaside Specters. And he's got a chapter in there called The Dismal Swamp Freak. And it talks about this guy named um, Harvey Pruitt who was uh, on a hunting and trapping expedition. And he claims to have this encounter with Bigfoot. And he says um, it, it chased Pruitt through the forest. Um, Pruitt then uh, assembled a group of uh, tenacious hunters to go f- find the most frightening varmint I'd ever seen. Um, Pruitt tracked the creature, captured it, and brought it out of the wilderness alive, uh, put it in a cage, but unfortunately it refused to eat and it ended up dying of starvation. Um, so that's where the story ended. So I actually contacted Daniel Barefoot. Um, who is a lawyer in Wilmington, lawyer and magician in Whoa. Wilmington. And I know. and, um, so I had asked him, you know, did what year did this happen? You know, what's your source? Because if you Google this at all, it, it goes back to, to Barefoot's book. And that's, I can't find anything that predates it, you know, what period it's in or whatever, you know? Um, and he just said his notes had been packed up for like 15 years and, you know, just good luck with your research kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> so we'll have to kind of live with the mystery, you know, but, um, that's um the dismal swamp free see
0: so. so, so, yeah i did i did reading on the dismal swamp and what what got me about it was like you you talked about the descriptions for it um and it instantly reminded me of the river Styx, which is right near where i live in wadsworth it's it was formerly this massive swamp and you know it's supposed to be like this impenetrable swamp and it just that reminded me of it but what fascinated me about the dismal swamp is that um there aren't that many bigfoot reports out of it like, for this massive expanse of land that, that seems to be perfect habitat, it reminds me of, like, you know, sulfur river bottoms, that kind of, like, yeah. foul kind of thing. There, there aren't, there, the, not that I could find anyway. The only one I've got, in fact, is this sighting report from 1982. A 17-year-old boy saw uh, an upright creature um, while he was hunting deer. He was in a stand. Uh, and it's kind of a cool account. You know, he, he gives some interesting descriptions of the of the physical, you know, description. And then he's got, you know, very bad odor, 500, 600 pounds, typical Bigfoot thing. But I was reading, um, so there used to be this guy out of Kentucky, and I cannot remember his name now, but he did a lot of research on the Panther Rock area. You might know who I'm talking about, Mark. Mm. He just passed away recently. I cannot. Philip Spencer. Um, His name is Philip Spencer. He did some research into the Dismal Swamp. And what what I'm saying is kind of gleaned from reading his stuff as well. He had done a lot of speaking with people that that were around that area. And while there were a lot of like, I guess you call them folktales or word of mouth stories, he couldn't actually track down anyone who'd had a sighting in the Dismal Swamp. And even this one sighting I found on a website wasn't from within the swamp itself. So, mm. and keep in mind, I steer clear of like going into the BFRO uh, database when we're doing the shows just because I don't want to z- recount their, you know, their sightings, their sighting database. I'm just, this is going yeah. off of something else entirely, but th- it was the only really solid like sighting I could find where it was more than just, I might've seen something in the shadows. You might've found more than I did.
1: There in, um, I mentioned the Waverly trainer trailer a minute ago, his, um, his book, The Great Dismal Swamp in Myth and Legend, it's, uh, it's fairly recent, I think, within the last five or six years or whatever. But I think there's three different Bigfoot sightings mentioned in there. Um, two are like hunters that, that saw something walk by or, or whatever. There's another one I want to say um, would – this thing would come up at night and like steal this farmer's pig. This guy had like a pig sty. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Um, next to the swamp, you know, and, and so um, evidently it would – come and like take his pigs at night and that kind of thing. But, Pig style but yeah, that's the
0: golden corral. It's, it's, one the, it's however you want. To...
1: <laughs> uh, so I'm in a mood, but yeah, it's
0: a, it's a weird mood I'm in and I'm going to end up hearing about that <laughs> one later from a listener. I can tell. <laughs> Pulling um, your sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and then finally um we have the um, honey Island swamp monster. And yes. I know that you wanted to talk about that uh, before. Um, so I don't want to get ahead of your plans or whatever, but just a couple of things about that that are kind of neat. The, uh, also called the Louisiana Wookiee, uh, <laughs> which I like. Um, and so this is from the Louisiana Bayou area. Um, let's see. So seven feet tall, grayish hair, amber eyes, um, uh, known for its smell, that kind of thing. um, Notable for the fact that the the feet are smaller and uh, has this three toes and then this fourth kind of digit off to the side, you know, this (laughs) opposable toe, I guess, um, for picking up things, sticks (laughs) and uh, possibly webbed feet. uh, So there's maybe similarities to the lizard man and and all. um, But anyway, there's evidently in in 1973, there's this swamp guide that uh, reported seeing a Bigfoot in the water and seeing it uh, swim to land. And it was a, a, there are a couple of accounts where he, one he hit it with his boat and stopped to see. He thought he hit a swimmer or something. And uh, this thing walked to the land and, and walked out of the water. Um, and then there's a guy named Ted Williams who claims to have seen him twice. And uh, the first time he saw him just standing and walking, and the second time he saw two of them swimming across the Pearl River, and he says he could have shot it, but he didn't uh, because it looked too human. And uh, evidently, the the face of this thing is, is very human. Um, but the most famous case, of course, is um, in 1974. You've got Harlan Ford and Ray Mills, and they found these uh, four-toed prints near the dead hog. I know you guys were talking about this maybe last week or kind of recently, but – that they made these uh, plaster casts of it. Um, and what's interesting is Ford claimed to have seen it as far back as 1963, but he didn't tell anybody about it. And uh, evidently, the word got out, and he was actually on an episode of In Search Of, um, which is available on YouTube because yeah. I found it. <laughs> and uh, so Ford's uh, granddaughter, uh, Dana Holyfield, has kind of preserved her grandfather's legacy. Uh, she's, she made a documentary. Called the Legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster. I have not seen this. I just found out about it, and it's, I haven't it's seen actually, it.
0: Actually, I believe that might be on YouTube as
1: well. Yeah, um, and so she's she's talked about finding tracks herself of different sizes, um, and mentions the creature scream at night. Uh, that people have heard it screaming at night and all. But probably the most interesting thing about this whole Ford and his his granddaughter thing is after he had passed away. Uh, and you guys might know about this, but after he passed away, um, they found this eight millimeter film that he had taken. And um, his his uh, widow and Miss Holyfield uh, watched it, to see what was on it and ended up having footage of this creature walking through the, the woods and all. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and
0: then they found they did find there, there's the famous track castings. And we talked about this on uh, an episode. I can't remember when. But right. They, they found those uh the the fake feet that made the the casts and i want to say it was the guy that does what's the guy's name mark that does all the photo de- uh, video analysis stuff um oh Thinker thunker no no okay. it's uh it's a uh, he's the guy that found all the the hit hiding bigfoot at, at bluff creek um, oh mkm MK, mk found the fake the fake feet for the honey island swamp monster that's a bummer yeah well it doesn't shoot down the whole story but it does shoot down the original three-toed tracks right has that eight millimeter
2: footage ever been screened anywhere else or Uh, i think
1: it's on her it's it's you can find it on youtube and then it's in search of and i believe it's in her documentary as well okay yeah
0: um i hate to call it but we are we are past our limit on this episode
1: well i'm done and so, you're done. So this, this I skipped a few things, but um, you know, after 30 minutes of learning how to use Skype, <laughs> well, we, <laughs> well,
0: in the future we'll be able to hop right on. It'll be great. Um, Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. We were we were talking anyway. And then so so um, David, where can people find your stuff? Anywhere? Are you online? Social media?
1: I don't I don't have any stuff. We need to um, we need to set you up with
0: like a Facebook page or something.
1: I do I am on Facebook but nothing I mean if you want to see pictures of my kids they're on there but um <laughs> they Charleston Southern University does have, where I teach they do have a um website but it's not very informative. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see what I look like you about <laughs> it. Look um, him up.
0: Google search him you'll find him.
1: If you um now I I will do shameless promotion if you are interested in um orphans of the Victorian period and who isn't? Um then I do have a book called um, Street Urchins, Sociopaths, and Degenerates, um, Orphans of the Late Victorian and Edwardian Period, or Literature, um, published by the University of Wales Press. Nothing to do with Bigfoot, but there is some gothic monstrousness in there. Awesome name, um, too. Titles. Anyway.
0: Titles. Fantastic.
1: Um, so.
2: David, aren't you – do you have a Bigfoot-related speaking engagement coming up?
1: Oh, yeah, I do. Well, it's uh, in April – I'm going to be talking at the Spring Symposium, which is an annual conference that Charleston Southern puts on. I'm going to be talking about the Green Man there. Um, And then in June, I'm going to be speaking at the International Psychohistorical Association in New York, um, talking about psychological implications of British imperialism, Um, not necessarily Bigfoot related, but... Uh, But then in August, yeah, I'll be uh, speaking at Virginia Bigfoot Conference in Hungry Mother State Park in Marion, Virginia. And that's how Billy Willard is putting that on. Um, And that's August uh, 26th, 27th.
0: That is one hungry mother. Um.
1: (laughs) And um, then I will be speaking in November. I'm a keynote speaker in Portsmouth University in England, uh, where basically I'm doing an hour-long presentation presentation on my book uh, about orphans and um then we had a couple of book projects in the works um and then more to come about that i guess in the future cool some bigfoot book related things awesome
0: all right well thanks for joining us
1: thank you so much i enjoyed it great to be with you guys good to see you again yep same here man